Chapter Seven of the Vicar of Rexhill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Vicar of Rexhill by Francis Milton Trollope. Chapter Seven: The First Impressions Made by Mister Cartwright. Letter from Lady Harrington. The three girls rallied round Mrs. Mowbray as soon as the guests had departed, all kindly anxious to see how she bore this first step back into a world so wholly changed for her she looked pale and there was an air of languor and weariness about her nevertheless to the great surprise of helen she expressed herself much pleased by the visit mr cartwright said she appears to me to be one of the most amiable men i ever saw every tone of his voice speaks kindness and indeed if he did not speak at all one look of his has more feeling and pity in it than other people could express by a volume of words do you really think so mamma said helen eagerly but suddenly stopped herself aware that in truth she had no grounds whatever for the strong feeling of dislike towards him of which she was conscious she remembered too that her father had expressed himself greatly pleased by the urbanity of his manners and that the last act of the benign influence he was wont to exercise on those around him had been to conquer the prejudice against him to which the exclusion of the wallace family had unjustly given rise helen remembered all this in a moment and the colour mounted to her cheeks and she was silent rosalind too was silent at least from words but her eyes could speak as many volumes at a glance as mr cartwright's and she fixed them for an instant on helen with a look that told her plainly her prejudices against their new neighbour however unreasonable were fully shared by her meanwhile fanny had thrown her arms round her mother's neck in a sort of rapture at hearing her own opinions confirmed by such authority oh how true that is dearest mamma she exclaimed how exactly i feel the same when he speaks to me such goodness such gentleness so much superiority yet so much humility poor dear mr wallace was an excellent good man certainly but no more to be compared to mr cartwright than i to hercules how many times have you seen mr cartwright fanny said rosalind i have heard him preach three times she replied and they were all the most beautiful sermons in the world and i have seen and spoken to him four times more poor mr wallace said rosalind it was he who christened you fanny and from that time to the hour of his death you seldom passed many days together i believe without seeing and receiving affectionate words and kind looks from him and yet four times speaking to this gentle gentleman has driven the memory of the poor old man from your heart no it has not rosalind replied fanny deeply blushing i am sure i did not say that did i mamma but my loving and remembering mr wallace all the days of my life need not make me dislike everybody else i suppose it would be a great misfortune to you if it did fanny said mrs mowbray i am delighted to see both in you and many others that the violent and most unjustifiable prejudice which was conceived against mr cartwright before he was seen and known is giving way before his amiable and excellent qualities i have no doubt that he will soon be quite as popular in the parish as mr wallace was and miss cartwright mamma said helen do you think we shall love her as well as we did emma wallace i know nothing whatever of miss cartwright as yet helen she appears very shy but we must try to give her courage my dear girls i hope we shall be on terms of as great intimacy with our new clergyman as with our former one it was a sort of association that your dear father particularly approved and that alone is a sufficient reason for our wishing to cultivate it this allusion was too solemn to admit any light conversation to follow it mrs mowbray strolled with fanny into the conservatory and rosalind persuaded helen that they should find the shrubberies infinitely cooler and more agreeable than the house 
but even under the thickest cover that the grounds could offer helen could not be tempted fully to open her heart upon the subject of mr cartwright an indulgence which rosalind certainly expected to obtain when she proposed the walk but the name of her father had acted like a spell on helen and all that she could be brought positively to advance on the subject of the cartwright family was that she did not think miss cartwright was shy within the next fortnight nearly every one who claimed a visiting acquaintance with the mowbray family both in the village and the neighbourhood round it had called at the park all the calling is over now said helen and i am very glad of it everybody has been very kind and attentive replied her mother and next week we must begin to return their calls i hope nobody will be offended for some of them must be left for many days the weather is very hot and the horses must not be overworked i wonder why that charming little person that i fell in love with the widow i mean that lives in the cottage at rexhill said rosalind i wonder she has not been to see you she appeared to like you all very much i have thought of that two or three times replied helen i think if they had any of them been ill we should have heard of it and yet otherwise i cannot account for such an attention it is merely accidental i am sure said mrs mowbray but there is one omission helen that cuts me to the heart tears burst from her eyes as she spoke poor helen knew not how to answer she was well aware that the omission her mother alluded to was that of sir gilbert and lady harrington and she knew too the cause of it lady harrington who with one of the best hearts in the world was sometimes rather blunt in her manner of showing it had sent over a groom with a letter to helen her goddaughter and a special favourite very fully explaining the cause of their not calling but in a manner that could in no degree enable her to remove her mother's uneasiness respecting it this letter which by her ladyship's especial orders was delivered privately into the hands of helen ran thus my darling child can't you think what a way i must be in at being prevented coming to see you sir gilbert excels himself this time for obstinacy and wilfulness every breakfast every dinner and every tea since it happened william and i do nothing but beg and entreat that i may be permitted to go over and see your poor mother good gracious as i tell him it is not her fault though god knows i do think just as much as he does that no man ever did make such a tomfool of a will as your father such a man as charles as sir gilbert says twas made at the full of the moon my dear and that's the long and the short of it he was just mad helen and nothing else but is that any reason that your poor dear mother should be neglected and forsaken this way god bless her dear soul she's more like a baby than anything i ever saw about money and as to her being an heiress why i don't believe upon my honour that she has ever recollected it from the day she married to the time that your unlucky poor dear distracted madman of a father threw all her money back at her in this wild way he had much better have pelted her with rotten eggs helen such a friend as sir gilbert so warm-hearted so steady and so true is not to be found every day old tiger as he is but what on earth am i to do about it i shall certainly go mad too if i can't get at you and yet i give you my word i no more dare order the coachman to drive me to mowbray park than to the devil you never saw such a tyrannical brute of a husband as sir gilbert is making himself about it and poor william too he really speaks to him as if he were a little beggar-boy in the streets instead of a colonel of dragoons william said last night something very like 
i shall ride over to rexhill to-morrow and perhaps i shall see the family at mow i wish you had seen him i only wish you had seen sir gilbert helen for half a moment you would never have forgotten it my dear and it might have given you a hint as to choosing a husband never marry a man with great wide open light-coloured eyes and enormous black eyebrows for fear he should swallow you alive some day before you know where you are see them roared sir gilbert if you do by god sir i'll leave every sou i have in the world to some cursed old woman myself but it shan't be to you madam turning short round as if he would bite me laugh if you will but go to mowbray if you dare but are we never to see any of the family again sir said the colonel very meekly i never told you so colonel booby was the reply you may see that glorious fellow charles as often as you will and the more you see of him the better and i'll manage if i can as soon as he has taken this degree that his heart's set upon to get a commission for him in your regiment so you need not palaver about my wanting to part you from him and as for you my lady i give you full leave to kidnap the poor destitute penniless girls if you can but if i ever catch you doing anything that can be construed into respect or civility to that sly artful hussy who cajoled my poor friend mowbray to make that cursed will may i you shall see old lady what will come of it now what on earth can i do dear darling i believe your mother's as innocent of cajoling as i am and that's saying something and as for your being destitute sweethearts you'll have fifty thousand pounds apiece if you've a farthing i know all about the property and so does sir gilbert too only the old tiger pretends to believe just to feed his rage that your mother will marry her footman and bequeath her money to all the little footboys and girls that may ensue for one principal cause of his vengeance against your poor mother is that she is still young enough to have children was there ever such a man but here have i according to custom scribbled my paper as full as it will hold and yet have got a hundred thousand more things to say but it would all come to this if i were to scrawl over a ream i am miserable because i can't come to see your mother and you and yet i can't help myself any more than if i were shut up in bridewell for i never did do anything that my abominable old husband desired me not to do and i don't think i could do it even to please you my pretty helen only don't fancy i have forgotten you but for god's sake don't write to me i am quite sure i should get my ears boxed believe me my darling child your loving friend and godmother jane matilda harrington p s i am quite sure that the colonel would send pretty messages if he knew what i was about but i will not make him a party in my sin i was just going to tell him this morning but my conscience smote me and i turned very sublimely away muttering in the words of macbeth be innocent of this my dearest chuck this coarse but well-meaning letter gave inexpressible pain to helen she dared not show it to her mother who she felt quite sure would consider the unjust suspicions of sir gilbert as the most cruel insult nor could she after lady harrington's prohibition attempt to answer it though she greatly wished to do it in the hope that she might be able to place her mother's conduct and feeling in a proper light but she well knew that with all her friends rodomontade she was most devotedly attached to her excellent though hot-headed husband and that she could not disoblige her any more than by betraying a secret which under the present circumstances would certainly make him very angry but the sight of her mother's tears and her utter inability to say anything that might console her very just sorrow inspired helen with a bold device to rosalind only had she shown lady harrington's letter and to rosalind only did she communicate her project of boldly writing to the enraged baronet herself do so helen said rosalind promptly it is the only measure to pursue unless indeed you and i were to set off and surprise him by a visit but my mother replied helen evidently struck by the advantages of this bolder scheme over her own what would my mother say to our going 
if she knew of it helen i suspect it would lose all favour in sir gilbert's eyes and you would have no chance whatever of softening this rage towards her the expedition if undertaken at all must be a secret one when he learns it is so i think it will touch his tough heart helen for he knows i fancy that such escapades are not at all in your line i only hope that he will not find out that i proposed it as that might lessen your merit in his eyes no no that would do no harm my doing it would be quite proof enough how near this matter is to my heart well then helen shall we go let me sleep upon it rosalind if we do go it must i think be quite early in the morning so as to have no questions asked before we set out it is not a long walk shall we see if he will give us some breakfast a most diplomatic project replied rosalind for it will enlist his hospitality on our side and ten to one but the rough coating of his heart will thaw and resolve itself into a dew as fanny would say by the mere act of administering coffee and hot cakes to us and then the field is won i think we will try said helen smiling with a sort of inward strengthening from the conviction that such would probably be the result a few more words settled the exact time and manner of the expedition and the friends parted to dress for dinner End of chapter seven